This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. I'm Shana Roth, and this week I'm joined by audio coordinating producer for Automotive News and my old co-host, Jake Neer. Jake, welcome back to Mishmash. Oh, Shana, it's so great to be back. What better way to end 2022 than to be back on Mishmash? <laughs> well, we're talking right to work this week, which is something that you know a lot about. Right to work is a law that weakened the power of unions in the state when it was adopted in 2012. This is obviously something that unions are following. A recent analysis by Bridge Michigan found that unions were among the top donors to Democrats, but especially Governor Gretchen Whitmer and incoming legislative leaders like Senator Winnie Brinks of Grand Rapids and Representative Joe Tate of Detroit. Those are the incoming leaders in the House and Senate as well. Combined, unions gave $577,500 to the three as of November 28th, comprising 31% of the $1.9 million the trio collected in group donations. That's all according to a bridge analysis. So, Jake, you focus a lot on unions, given that you work in automotive news. Give us the general vibe among unions at the prospect of this law being overturned. Why are they so invested? Well, I think there's just no question that Right to Work has hit union membership hard in Michigan, which is also what we see in other Right to Work states, too. I mean, uh, Bridge Michigan did a great piece where they really laid it out. I mean, since the law was enacted in 2012, the percentage of Michigan workers covered by a union contract has declined. It was at more than 17% 10 years ago. Now it's around 15%. But this is the bigger number. The percentage of employees who are actually belonging to a union that actually belong to a union, that is, fell even further from almost 17% to just over 13% now. And that means tens of thousands of workers declined to pay union dues in that time. And that really has a snowball effect. I mean, that means less money for unions to launch organizing efforts and, and actually grow. Break it down for us. What would getting rid of right to work mean for the unions? Well, I think it's really important to note that unions are at a really pivotal moment right now. This is a great time to be talking about this because the Inflation Reduction Act has just opened the floodgates of electric vehicle battery manufacturing investments in North America. And Michigan's already seen multiple huge battery projects announced since it passed. Uh, it's absolutely contender for more of those projects as well. Uh, one of our editors, Lindsay Chapel, noted recently on our Daily Drive podcast at Automotive News that everywhere there's an EV made, a battery will need to be made nearby. And that means battery plants all over the landscape during this transition. Unions need to organize those facilities because the switch to EVs also means that all those old powertrain plants that you see here in Michigan they could soon be obsolete. And that's a lot of union workers possibly out of the job. So, um, you know, it's really important to note also that this is a, also a contract here for the UAW with American automakers. So, you know, it couldn't be bigger stakes right now for unions in their future. When you break it down like that, it really makes it easy to understand why the unions were putting so much money towards legislative leaders, towards the governor who were in support of getting rid of this law. I mean, it's it's uh, an age old political 
partnership, really, you know, this this alliance between Democrats and unions. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens, though. I mean, you look at a state like Virginia, which recently uh, also uh, had a Democratic majority in, it, in its legislature, and they were talking about repealing their right to or yeah, repealing their right to work law. And they actually couldn't get moderate Democrats to go along with it. So will that be a similar situation here in Michigan where we see really small margins in Michigan? Uh, time will tell. I mean, we'll find out very soon, I think. But, um, you know, what what will happen when Democrats actually have the gavel in their hands? I mean, uh, we haven't seen it in 40 years. So, you know, hold on tight. Jake, I want to take you back in time a little bit. You were a Capitol reporter for the Michigan Public Radio Network when Right to Work was initially adopted in 2012. And you and I have talked about that from time to time and what a tumultuous time it was at the Capitol. Walk us through what it was like. Oh, my goodness. Where to start? For one thing, you know, I was just thinking about how it's been just over 10 years now since that lame duck session of 2012. Uh, You know, this is early into the Snyder administration. Uh, Rick Snyder was he kept saying, you know, it's not on my agenda. Right to work is not on my agenda. It was one of those political lines meant to really quell the, as he called it, the divisiveness of that moment and to uh, not to commit to anything, but it was so it was it left just that amount of room for him to say, you know, well, it's not on my agenda, but since they sent it to me, I'll sign it. And and that's exactly what happened. I mean, I remember uh, talking to a Republican state senator at the time who is no longer a Republican state senator because of term limits. But I remember talking to him on the floor of the chamber before right to work happened. It was right after the elections. It was just in the air, right, that, you know, this is this is going to happen. They're going to pass this law. And I remember him describing it as the storm clouds are coming in that, you know, because even though he was a Republican and supported the law, there was this acknowledgement that this is a really monumental moment and it's going to just sort of change everything and and it did the 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 tone changed the, the relationship between democrats and republicans changed and the feeling of rick snyder as sort of a moderate don't rock the boat governor the trust i mean there was a lot of trust that was lost i think between uh democratic leaders including gretchen whitmer who was the democratic leader at the time um the the whole vibe in lansing really changed and it also happened in a lame duck session that uh, included passing a uh, emergency manager law on steroids that had just been the emergency law emergency manager law had just been repealed by uh, voters and the legislature turned around and just passed it again only it was even more substantial and you know you can draw a direct line between there and the Flint water crisis and all these other uh things that did not work well with emergency managers in Michigan so um and and there were about 50 other bills that were controversial that passed all you know at four o'clock in the morning as I know you can relate to <laughs> and there was a lot of protests at the time, right? I, I think I remember Absolutely. you saying that that the Capitol was just at various points just kind of overrun with people trying to stop this. It was, I mean, they were everywhere. They were uh, the, the largest protest that I had have, I had ever seen and that have seen since uh, in Michigan, for sure. Uh, and I, the, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember 
we had it's it, you know when you're covering these sessions you're sitting around and waiting and sitting around and waiting then big things happen then you're sitting around and waiting so you feel like you can't get up and like go do things like eat lunch or go to the bathroom so i remember going outside I remember that the capital <laughs> yes uh, going outside the capital um really gambling that they wouldn't start up again so i could go get myself some a sandwich or something and literally as soon as i walked out a state trooper said into his his um uh his walkie talkie okay we're shutting it down and so they closed the doors and locked them behind me and i could not get back to the senate chamber to get there and cover what was happening inside and i got stuck outside with all of the protesters uh, I remember just being surrounded by union bosses. Uh, the the head of the UAW was literally standing right in front of me. We were all hoping to get into the building. Obviously, I had a job to do. But, um, you know, you could feel it was just this like really like all the energy, all of the tension. I mean, it was everywhere in downtown Lansing that day. Um, and make a long story short, I did end up finding a way to get back in. They were letting press back in, but man, it was kind of a scary moment, uh, not knowing if we'd be able to cover the story that day. Oh my gosh. I can just imagine the panic of you finally go to get yourself something to eat. And as soon as you walk out, <laughs> the doors lock behind you and you're just trying yeah. to figure out how to go back in and do your job. Oh my goodness. It was, it was, a, it was a strange moment. Uh, and probably the biggest moment of panic I had covering <laughs> the state capitol. So how do you think it's going to be different this time? Certainly everybody is well in advance expecting this law to be overturned. That doesn't necessarily mean that anybody's going to go quietly who is in support of the law. So how do you think that overturning it is going to differ from the past? Or do you think we're going to see sort of the massive protests and, and all of that 2.0? I have a hard time believing we'll see massive protests. I mean, if you look at the the coalitions of people who support and oppose these, it made sense that there would be massive protests when they passed right to work in 2012, because this is what unions do. They organize. They are on the ground. They are there with their picket signs. And, and you know, they know how to protest. They know how to get people there. Um do I think that uh, business leaders will come out in full force in Michigan to, you know, stand on the Capitol? There'll probably be some, maybe. Uh, I do not think, I do not expect it to be a similar scene uh, if they do end up deciding that they're going to repeal the bill. I mean, it, literally, this is the first thing that I thought of when people started doing their think pieces about what does democratic leadership in, Man in, in Lansing mean uh, if, you know, when they when they take control first thought I had was, is right to work, uh, you know, at the top of, of Democrats agenda. Um, one uh, friend of mine who uh, has worked in this space for a very long time said, all, you know, all that, the, all that is uncertain is the bill number at this point. Uh, and I think that, you know, that was my initial reaction too. But again, who knows? I mean, is it possible that there will be some moderate Democrats who, who need some convincing to do it? I'm not sure at this point. I haven't I haven't heard that from anyone specifically yet. But if they do decide that they're going to repeal the right to work law, I have a feeling it's going to be a lot quieter than it was in 2012. So we're wrapping up the year and it's been quite a big year in automotive news, as evidenced by your ability to have an entire beat dedicated just to cars and automotive news. Jake, what are some of the big stories that happened this year? And where do you see Michigan going in 2023? 
I think I mentioned the biggest one already, which is the Inflation Reduction Act and the new incentives for EVs that are in that bill. In my mind, that's the biggest. That is the biggest story. We actually, um, I don't want to scoop ourselves, but I think that there's a lot of consensus uh, among automotive <laughs> news staff that that was the story of the year because it changed everything. It changed the entire landscape of how this this movement that already has started really, really in earnest, moving toward EVs, moving toward electrification uh, among all automakers, um, it took that and it changed uh, the the trajectory of it completely. St obviously, still, uh, the, uh, the, the OEMs, all of the automakers, they are moving in that direction. But now it's 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 really less of a consumer incentive than it is an incentive for where you are sourcing all of your battery components and minerals. And it's it's about manufacturing. I think, you know, say what you will about Joe Manchin. Uh, there are plenty of, of critics out there and supporters. But I would say uh, that that single handedly Joe Manchin has probably done more than any politician in recent years to onshore that aspect of manufacturing in the auto industry with sort of the levers that he pulled to get that bill through. Um, now, also keep in mind for supporters of EVs, that almost immediately took away, took away consumer incentives for about 70% of EVs on the market. So it is not, it was not a panacea for buying EVs as a consumer necessarily, especially in the short term. But when it comes to where those EVs are being made, where the components are being made, where the battery factors are, factories are going to be, um, that's that is a huge, huge change. I also think that uh, all the investments that are sort of peripheral to that, that was another huge story this year. Um, and another thing that a lot of people aren't talking outside of sort of our sphere is what this means for dealers. They, you know, Ford this year told their dealers they have to, and each dealer has to invest about a million dollars to convert to sell their EVs. If you want to be a Ford dealer selling Ford EVs, soon you're going to have to put a ton of money into chargers, into other tooling, into training, into all these things. I mean, that is a big change in the way that we sell vehicles as OEMs also look at at uh companies like Tesla that don't have a dealer network and can just sell their EVs straight to the consumer um you know uh, there are a lot of traditional automakers that probably would wouldn't you know go through their dealers if they had the the uh if they just had the choice and there weren't all these franchise laws in states like Michigan so um you know the the way that's that cars are um made sold and bought will all change in very dramatic ways in the next few years and of course with Michigan being the center of the auto industry in America um that is going to change a lot of the the you know landscape here as well Jake Neer is the audio coordinating producer for Automotive News. Jake, it's always wonderful to have you back in your old stomping grounds here on Mishmash. Oh, man, I, I will come back anytime you ask, Shana. I will be here to talk autos and, and, and reminisce about some of the most uh, ridiculous times we had covering the state capitol. 
Thanks again to our guest, Jake Neer from Automotive News. Always wonderful to have him back at Mishmash. Mishmash is produced by WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This episode was produced by myself, Shana Roth, and the amazing Hearns Laguerre Jr. Our news director is Jerome Vaughn, and our podcast manager is David Lyons. You can thank them for this show continuing to come to you every week. Our digital team is Dave Kim and Sophia Joswiak, and our podcast interns are Ashley Harris, Patrick Burns, and Jack Philbrandt. As always, if you listen to this podcast and want to support it, you can do so by leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts or, and I really hope you do this one, you can support WDET by going to WDET.org slash give without your donations. WDET and this show really isn't possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. 